When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, welcome to The Tints. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, we get a lot of a lot of emails, a lot of questions about lots of different things, uh, especially lately since we've kind of come out of, or I've kind of come out of my self-imposed uh, hermit sabbatical from the, uh, the business. And uh, well, besides where my orders, Scott, and all that kind of stuff, and the answer is thank you for your patience. They're coming. We're, we're getting caught up on a pretty big backlog, so that's good to know. We've resolved some supply chain issues, and we're starting to redo our website, and we're going to have radically different offerings than what we have now. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. It's going to be a very different approach, um, or not a very different, but a, a significantly different approach from what we've been doing, uh, and um, I think it's going to be a lot more fun for everybody, especially for us, too. Um, it'll be a fun kind of uh, a way to uh, to ease into the, the hobby. Anyway, we get a lot of questions. Um, one of the questions we get are, how come you guys don't have rocks? What, or how come you don't use rocks in your, in your Igapo aquariums and so forth? And I think that there's some interesting things. It's uh, interesting answers for that. And one of the biggest uh, and most important answers is that it's not really that applicable to what we do. As we delve deeper into the world of botanical method, aquariums, and black water, I think it becomes more and more important for us to understand the wild habitats of the world, specifically how they form and their physical characteristics, what those are. And it's easier for us to just go, you know, the cliche route and say that like black water is, you know, water that has a low pH caused by dissolved organic materials and looks the color of tea, you know, that kind of usual stuff. You can leave it at that. It's the standard line that's been used for decades. It's not untrue, but not really all that helpful in, you know, understanding exactly what it is. And more important, not helpful in understanding why it has certain characteristics. And there are some things which contribute to the overall habitat of black water environments, specifically how they form. Well, interestingly, it does sort of start with the study of rocks and geology, for that matter. Now, don't start yawning on me. Um, I, you know, should first start off by freely admitting that I sort of, well, I kind of dozed through the limited number of geology classes I took in high school and college, and I never knew at the time that the time that I spent in those classes, you know, drawing pictures on the back of my notebooks and trying to figure out where to get the stuff I needed for that weekend party would ever come out back to haunt me decades later when I'd have to refamiliarize myself with all this stuff for business purposes. So my understanding is limited, but I'll convey what I do know to you here and how it relates to our little area of interest. Now, black waters in areas like Amazonia, of course, one of our favorite locales, drain from an area known to geologists as the Precambrian Guiana Shield, which is comprised of sediments including quartz, sandstone, shales, and conglomerates stemming from the formation of the Earth some 4.6 billion years ago. As a result of lots of geological activity over the eons, a soil type consisting of whitish sand called podzol is formed. Now, 
Podzol typically is derived from quartz-rich sands, sandstone, and other sedimentary materials in areas of high precipitation, you know, like the Amazon. Now, typically, podzols are kind of, well, kind of shitty for growing stuff because they're sandy, have little moisture, and even less nutrients. A process called podzolization, of course, right? What, what the fuck else would you call it? <laughs> occurs where the decomposition of organic matter is inhibited. So lots of microbes and plants consume some of the nitrogen and while eaten by other organisms, convey what's left to even lower lying forest habitats. This is really depleted soil. The Amazonian blackwater rivers are largely depleted in nutrients. Having passed through the lowland forest soils as groundwater from which weathering has already occurred. So as a result, layers of acidic organics build up. With these rather acidic conditions, a deficiency of nutrients further slows down the decomposition of organics. So yeah, it's lousy soil for growing stuff. But guess what? They form the basis of the substrate in many Amazonian aquatic habitats. And the water which flows over the soil is what we call black water, which achieves its unique color from the really high content of dissolved humic substances, poor in nutrients and electrolytes, but it's characterized by having sodium as one of its major cations, which are ions with fewer electrons than protons, giving them a positive charge, which means it has low alkalinity. Typically, the pH and the electrical conductivity values are less than 5%. And, or excuse me, 5.0 and the conductivity is like 25 microsimians or less, all the way as low as one microsimian. That's really, really low. So to make a very long and intimidating sort of story short, the physical characteristics of blackwater habitats are influenced as much as by geology as they are anything else. That is to say, all of the dissolved humic substances which give these bodies of water their unique look are enabled by geological properties of the region. And from the trace element perspective, the reefer in me, um, there are only a few minerals that are consistent, that are present in consistent concentrations, sufficient enough to influence the chemistry of this water. Like this water has very low concentrations of trace elements. That's why you'll often see simple, fine, white silica-type sands at the bottom of so many Amazonian streams and rivers. They originate up in the Andes Mountains and are transported by various means into the lowland areas. I mean, there's way more to this process than I can convey to you here, but it's a study in the relationship between seemingly unrelated elements and how they come together. Now, I admit this is probably more than you will ever care to know about how sand works in your favorite blackwater habitats, and I think it's important to understand that it's all kind of related, and it makes it a lot easier to understand how blackwater systems come to exist and function when you consider the whole big picture. And of course, we're a hell of a lot more interested in the decaying vegetation part, you know, leaves and twigs and stuff, which influences the waters as well. So using a quality substrate material, which doesn't impact the pH or buffering capacity of the water to any great extent is important if you're playing with black water. The reality is that we just having an awareness of what goes on in the natural aquatic habitats that we love gives us a nice leg up on this stuff. You're obviously not gonna use a strongly buffering substrate like aragonite or whatever to do to your job in the low pH and alkalinity black water aquarium, right? Yeah. Oh, and then there's that question about rocks. We're going back to that. How come you don't find rocks in your igapo habitats that we talk about? Like, why don't you find them there? Well, as you know from my long-winded description that I just gave you, uh, I'm no expert or even a novice in geology or geochemistry, but based on my research into this stuff, as I just related to you, it goes without saying that these are hardly conditions under which rocks as we know them could form. Now, sure, you might find a random rock that in the Agapo that was washed down from the Andes or some other high country locale in these forests, but it's a pretty safe bet that it didn't evolve there. 
This also helps to explain why the blackwater, why the blackwater habitats are generally low in inorganic nutrients and minerals, right? So if you're really, really hardcore into repli replicating an agapo like I am, you probably want to exclude rocks altogether, especially if you're entering one of those biotope aquarium contests. Astute judges would rightfully nail you on scoring, on scoring for falling back on your natural inclinations as an aquascaper to toss some rocks in. I personally, of course, would be a bit more forgiving, but you won't find rocks in my agapo tanks. Mm -mm. Besides, there's something far more compelling and romantic about leaves and seed pods and wood than a bunch of rock, right? Well, maybe. I don't answer that. Yeah, you won't find any rocks in my agapo tanks. I can just say that I'm not really into them, I guess. Rather, we choose to concentrate on the more ephemeral components of the habitat, and rightfully so. Now, our ability to mimic this aspect of flooded forests is a real source of benefits for the fishes that keep uh, that we keep and the key to unlocking secrets to long-term maintenance and husbandry of botanically influenced aquariums the transformation of the dry forest floors into aquatic habitats uh, provides a tremendous amount of inspiration and biological diversity and activity for both the natural environment and for our aquariums we talk about this a lot now flood pulses in these habitats you easily enable this large scale transferring of nutrients and food between the terrestrial and the aquatic environments. This is of huge importance to the ecosystem, something really to think about. As we've touched on before, aquatic food webs in the Amazonian area and in other tropical ecosystems are very strongly influenced by the input of terrestrial materials. And this is an important point for those of us interested in creating a more natural aquatic display and, you know, microcosms for that matter for the fishes that we keep. Creating an aquascape utilizing a matrix of leaves, roots, and other materials is one of my favorite aesthetics. One of my favorite interpretations of this habitat, and it just happens to be supremely functional as an aquarium as well. I think it's a prototype for many of us to follow, merging looks and function together adeptly and I might say beautifully. I think it's way sexier than any Iwagumi layout even, you know, comes close to. It's far more compelling than some of the new rock with stupid names that people get all emotional about and all that stuff. I like this stuff. Now, I think at least part of the reason why we're seeing success with utilizing botanicals in our aquariums is that our fishes are, I don't know, instinctively programmed to utilize many of these materials as both a feeding substrate and as food items in and of themselves. Yeah, you know, pellets and flakes are not part of their natural diet, right? Oh, but what about the rocks in the blackwater tanks? Stay on topic, Felman. You're going all over the place. Well, yeah, you can play with rocks in a blackwater aquarium. Nature has a prototype for that. You just need to study a bit. In fact, you can have rocks, leaves, and wood and blackwater all together. It's just about context. It's about understanding how and why these materials come together, what factors conspire to cause this, and what happens when it does. Yeah, you can do it. It just won't be able to get many rocks from, you know, moi. I'm not going to sell rocks. What we are going to uh, work with continuously this year is substrates. We're going to play with substrates. We've got some new ones coming out. I've been playing with different formulations. Even in my absence from running the company, I was still geekily experimenting. I like that word, geekily. I was still geekily experimenting with substrates. So I'm playing with some new variations, stuff that's perfectly suited for what us botanical method, aquarist, blackwater people, what we do. Stuff that's designed to replicate in form and function some of the materials found in the natural habitats of our fishes. It's going to be a lot of fun. So for a lot of reasons... I think rocks are probably the least applicable materials we can offer. And uh, of course, the facts can go either way. That being said, 
A little research into these seemingly obscure and perhaps unrelated topics can sometimes give us some awesome clues that can influence our acquiring practice in ways that we haven't even imagined. Clues which may lead to further evolutions and improvements to our practices. Clues that can help us to create compelling aquatic displays, which is what it's all about, right? So when you see me not selling rocks, you'll at least have a little bit of context for why. I hope so. Anyway, that's today's little uh, meandering lesson in geology and uh, amateur marketing and sleuthing and all kinds of weird stuff. So just felt like kind of coming coming at you with one of the more frequent questions that we receive here. Stay engaged, stay intrigued, stay curious, stay diligent, stay informed, stay inspired, and always stay wet. Until next time, it's Scott Feldman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.